Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast that explores compelling themes in some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Brittany. And I'm Chris. And today, we're going to be looking at Harry Potter through the theme of ability. Yeah. So how did you come to see ability as a social issue in our society? I think to some degree, it would go hand in hand with some other social issues. Like, if you care about some, then you're going to inevitably hopefully hear about some others Mm. and start raising like having awareness raised that way so i think some of it was just kind of hearing it through other avenues of social justice that i cared about a lot and then since there's some people in my family who are differently able that made me more aware of how things are being portrayed Mm. and the types of language people would use and the types of perspectives people would have on people who are differently abled. And then once my own ability started being affected, then it's unfortunate. I, I should have cared more and I should have been thinking about it more than, oh, now it affects me, so now I care. Uh, but yeah, it did really, I think, open my eyes even more to so many different avenues where things Mm. are ableist and things are exclusive and things are just dealt with so badly in Mm. our world like both in real life with systems and also in like media Mm. with like how it's dealt with in characters and plot lines so yeah I think I think I started caring before that for sure, but once it was affecting me, I could see it in so many different ways that I really didn't understand before. Totally. Yeah. What about you? I've had a personal experience with people who are differently abled and who suffer from mental illness in particular for a while. And that was really illuminating for me, being a, in particular a support system for people who are suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder and bipolar disorder and, and other kinds of depression and, and things like that. And in so doing, kind of learning as a support system, you know, what these issues are in larger social settings and how, mm-hmm. how kind of society engages with that. Um, I feel like the first time I really took a look at kind of more critical discussions of uh, ability politics was actually through a uh, a critic who podcasts about the X-Men and argues that the mutant metaphor in X-Men comics is actually best a metaphor for ability politics and radical ability politics in particular. And so reading through some of his writing and writings about people on the spectrum and yeah, just people like you were mentioning don't get represented well and what it means Mm -hmm. for those people when they are represented well, right? Looking at that kind of representation was kind of the first place I started really seeing that in a more critical lens, the way that I had already started looking at race and gender and these other kinds of things as well. But it's certainly something that I am, I, I, I probably end up struggling with it most, maybe because it's newest to me or because my ability still seems more like default socially, but it's still something that I, I for sure grapple with and, and I still have work to do as I'm sure most people do, but yeah. Oh yeah. Well, to go into our discussion of ability in Harry Potter... Let's start out with a quote, and this one comes from the end of the Chamber of Secrets after Harry has destroyed the diary and has his 
ending of the semester talk with Dumbledore. (laughs) So Dumbledore tells him, It is our choices, Harry, that show what we truly are, far more than our abilities. A classic quote for a good reason. Yeah, I like it a lot in a lot of ways because I feel like so many things in the world are so focused on ability and not enough weight, I think, weight is given to the idea that like, Our abilities don't make us who we are. They affect us, for sure. Mm -hmm. But regardless of what our our abilities are, we still have individual choices to make. Most of us, right? And that's not everyone. Some people, their functioning is, is so affected that choices is maybe something that isn't readily available. Yeah. So that also definitely needs to be noted. Yeah, for sure, right? Being more able bodied gives you greater choice Mm -hmm. uh, in a lot of ways in our society. But I think that in particular, one of the themes of Harry Potter as a series is that choices matter more than ability and choices are what move the plot and choices are what defeat Voldemort at the end, right? Like Mm -hmm. he is defeated by Harry's choice, not Harry's ability. It's much more about he chooses to do the right thing and to sacrifice himself in the end and that is ultimately what destroys Voldemort is the fact that people can make loving choices mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's just it it's a really great quote to to bring attention to like your abilities don't define you exactly yeah yeah well that's a good transition into the character I wanted to discuss okay I thought it'd be interesting to discuss Neville Longbottom It's always interesting to discuss Neville Longbottom. It certainly is. Because Neville, I think, is a really interesting character study in the kind of conversations that a non-critical society has on ability. Where his family, they're constantly trying to impress upon him expectations of what his ability Mm -hmm. should be. And they're constantly questioning in front of him, like he's reporting this to people, whether he might be a squip, whether he might be, you know, Mm -hmm. less than, especially in comparison with his parents. And, you know, even to dangerous accounts where his uncle ultimately throws him out the window and that's how they find out that he's magical, you know? Like, that sounds like, if you look at that really seriously, that's abusive, you know? Um... And so I think that that it's really interesting because we see how a character who clearly has problematic support systems behind him is unable to meet the expectations placed upon him, but that in certain areas he is able to ultimately succeed, right? He gets it, you know, very good at herbology, Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of where he shines, and then In Defense Against the Dark Arts, it takes, funnily enough, Harry as a good teacher to kind of make him more competent. I think part of it also, you know, in the last couple books, he he finally has his own wand, which is also, I think, interesting element there. But but that was the other thing is I thought that it was an interesting, as I was thinking about Neville, I was starting to think about whether that representation is in and of itself problematic, though. Mm -hmm. Because ultimately, he starts as the inept, bumbling character who clearly has a good heart, but is not really taken seriously by anyone. But he gains these these areas where he gains competency. And again, a lot of that is through his choice, right? I think Book 7 Neville is, he is someone who is leading a revolution, and that is choice. That is strength of character, and that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he, he talks about how his biggest 
piece of revolution was refusing to cast unforgivable curses on underclassmen. And that's awesome. Class people? Yeah, underclass people. Thank you. (laughs) Younger students? Yeah, that's probably the best way of putting it. (laughs) Then we also see this idea that, you know, he is good at certain things like herbology and these things. And that's what ultimately gives him that kind of value, right? And that's also a, a kind of trope that we see often in media is a character who starts off incompetent, who gains a special kind of competency as they gain whatever they need, and then they're no longer part of this discussion of different ability. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, I think. He's good representation for people who have a certain baseline level of ability, Mm. right? Because very few of us are Hermione's. Basically good at everything except... You're pretty good at defense against the dark arts Mm -hmm. and not the best at flying. I mean, she's pretty terrible at telling the future. I mean, she just doesn't care. (laughs) Or she doesn't believe in it. I think there's there's some interesting ideas there, but but yes. Uh, And then, like, you know, Harry is pretty adequate at most things, and then he's very good at a couple things. Yeah. And then you have someone like Neville who... They're really only good at one thing, mm-hmm. academically. And yes, he does better once he gets a new wand, but he still isn't a prodigy or anything. It's not like, oh, now he's just good at every subject. Or like, we never find out that, mm-hmm. yes, now he's just really good at potions or even Defense Against the Dark Arts. Like, mainly what makes him stand out as this leader of resistance within Hogwarts in the seventh book is that he just refuses to do certain things. Mm -hmm. It's not because he necessarily has any special abilities. He just is smart enough to be like, oh, let's go to the room of requirement and stay here Mm -hmm. and get away from these other people. So I think in the sense that you don't have to be good at everything, and especially since a lot of people aren't good at academics and they can feel really terrible and they can feel unintelligent and that can affect so much of them and and their lives right so it's i think it could be good representation for yeah again a baseline level of ability Mm -hmm. but when we get into people who don't have that and they're outside of being able to necessarily operate in in society as per the norm is expected to then yeah that is where it gets more complicated with with Neville because yeah. a part of it as well as I'm sure Neville's character like Neville wouldn't be able to actually be as <laughs> successful as he is mm-hmm. uh, at being great coming from not only the family he comes from but also at being a Hogwarts mm-hmm. like he undergoes verbal abuse from Snape and intimidation from other fellow classmates and, you know, basically from every house. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, his his family is so ableist that if, if he doesn't have whatever their standard is for how he should be, then they're just so disappointed in him and don't really put resources into anything to see areas that they can help if there's things he can become more proficient at and on top of that like he's also seen how 
people in his family are treated when they lose most of their ability Mm. altogether because his parents for over a decade are in St. Mungo's. And if they're not a danger to anyone, why are they there? Why aren't they living with any family or friends? Like, why are they confined to this separate space where nobody goes? The only people who interact with them are people who work at the hospital and then the few times that they go per year to to visit. And so, yeah, I mean, he's seen that growing up. And I think that all would probably affect him a lot more than does. Totally. And and I think that it's really interesting because I, I wonder how much of his own experiences color how he interacts with his parents. Because when the, the one scene that we see, his grandmother says like, oh, throw that wrapper away, mm-hmm. right? And he's like, thanks, mom. Yeah, and, and he like puts it in his pocket mm-hmm. and takes it anyway. Like he sees that she's communicating something, mm-hmm. right? And he gives her that respect. And it means something to him, and it's frustrating that his grandmother just, yeah, sees it as worthless. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I just, I think Neville's a really interesting look into these kinds of conversations in in Harry Potter. Yeah, for sure. Well, what plot did you bring? So, I wanted to talk about squibs. There's so many questions I have around them, and... It's very interesting because at least one of them, or one and a half potentially, like, are actually crucial to what happens in the books. So we have Mrs. Fig, who, if it weren't for her, Harry would have been expelled and his wand would have been broken. Mm. In which case, everyone would have died. Yes. <laughs> so she saves everyone, basically. Mm-hmm. And then you have Marope, who we don't exact like, she's not technically, but she at least has a very, very low level of magical ability. And she obviously is super important plot-wise of everything that happens. And so you have some of these characters being very influential, but also not being main in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. And so... It just, like, leaves me with a lot of questions. Where do they study? Mm. You know? Like, if squibs are only people who are born in magical families, so that means both of their parents have to be magical, and they don't have magic, or they can't utilize it. So shouldn't they get to basically be, like, muggle-borns, where they get integrated into wizard society, but they get to be integrated into muggle society, but they actually have extra abilities because they can still see and interact with some magical things, Mm -hmm. but they just can't, like, wield it through a wand, right? I think that is just something that's really interesting to me. Wish we got to see more, like, how did Mrs. Fig actually get where she was, Mm -hmm. and... But then also we see through Mr. Felch that it's not necessarily the best representation of somebody who doesn't Mm -hmm. have magical ability. At the same time, I understand why he's so bitter. Mm -hmm. He works at a place with all of these magical children. Children can be the worst and they can be the most ableist people, Mm -hmm. right? And they are. They are. 
create messes, they ruin things that he has to clean up by hand because he doesn't have any magical ability to be able to do it quickly. Mm-hmm. And he just has to take it. And I love the Weasley twins, but they make his life a living hell, mm-hmm. you know? And that's, like, completely not okay. And why is Peeves even there? He should have been kicked out <laughs> if he's going to continue to make this poor man's life, like, just miserable because... Basically, all day he has to be around people who have abilities that he doesn't have, and he has to clean up their mess that they make because they just don't care that he has to do it by hand, Mm -hmm. you know? And so it's just like, I think, not that people who are differently able, just everybody gets really bitter and, like, hate everybody who's able-bodied, but I do think if we sit down and analyze it, it has a very good look of what it could be feel like in some ways to be in an able-bodied world that functions that way and you're not because that's that's his existence Mm. and we don't get to see it as much as i would like to but yeah i think i think he's a very interesting character in that way that i never really read him as carefully before but that also brings me to the quick spell he wants to try to learn magic i mean who wouldn't and And it makes me wonder, is this like a scheme to exploit those people without or with little magical ability? Or is it one of the only places that cares to try to educate people who have less ability than others? Mm. Granted, their marketing is faulty, fail-proof, and blah, blah, blah. Mm. You know, like that sort of language, you know, makes me very skeptical and be like, scheme. But... That's the thing, like, why isn't there any other magical schools or other classes at Hogwarts that allow for training people with less strong magical abilities? Yeah, I mean, why couldn't they still be in Herbology or Potions, right? Like, there's still plenty of things, or Ancient Runes, like, there's plenty of magical aspects that don't come with waving a wand around and shouting stuff out. Like, Mm -hmm. there's other things as part of this world, and... We don't see that. And, and I mean, it could be as simple as, like, with Filch, like, someone give him an enchanted broom that you enchanted and then let that work for him. Like, just because he doesn't have that magic, he has no access to these magical items or magical elements of the world. Right? Yeah, it's like, Flitwick's a charms professor. Like, why doesn't he make some charms so that some people who don't have the same magical abilities can still have some of the benefits of the magical world that they can still see and be a part of, but mm. are just so marginalized that it's all super frustrating. So, yeah. yes. It's also interesting because he is the only character in Hogwarts, the only adult other than Hagrid, who is not called by an honorific, right? Professor, Mr., anything like that. Mm-hmm. Dumbledore is the only one who calls him Mr. Filch. Mm-hmm. Uh, even his cat, Mrs. Norris, has... <laughs> an honorific in front of her name that he doesn't have, right? He's just called Filch Yeah. by the children. And, like, it shows how little respect he's given as mm-hmm. a person. And, you know, it's not just because because Madame Pomfrey and Madame Pince also aren't faculty, but they have Madame in front of their names, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. he doesn't even get a mister by the students. And I think that that's a really, uh, a really important point to, uh, to bring out as well. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And going back to Merope a little bit, I think she's really interesting, too, because on one hand, it shows the abuse of somebody with, like, a smaller range of ability, mm-hmm. which is 
unfortunately so common in the world mm-hmm. that I'm glad that there's some voice given to that, uh, even if it's not front and center. And yeah, it, it does bring up interesting questions too about like the effect that abuse can have on mental health mm-hmm. and also the effect that mental health can have on physiology. Mm-hmm. Like stressors actually mutate DNA and that can cause you a lot of health problems. So either one of those kind of like paths you could look at for Moreau for her experiences and her ability. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But at the end of the day, also the entire name squib is ableist, right? Mm. Because and I and I think it's purposeful. The fact that one, it's used as insults for people. And also it's definitely not person first diagnosis second language, mm-hmm. right? It's like this is a label that we're going to give you based on your ability and now that's what you are. Totally. Yeah, that's so. a really good point. Well, what about your compelling question? So my question has to do with the representation of the different kinds of ability that we see in the books. Why do you think there are some physical and mental curses or ailments or things like that that can be healed? Magic can do so much. Skelligro can grow back a hand, an arm, Mm -hmm. right? We can do all these amazing things. And yet, we still have both mental and physical trauma represented that is not healable in Harry Potter. Hmm. So... I would guess it's for a couple reasons. One would be is written that way for convenience mm. because it's just easier to not have to make accommodations for characters mm. so that you can get the plot to go wherever you want it to. And that is, you know, a perfect mirror for ableism in society. It's just easier not to have to make accommodations for people. And so I think part of it is that. And part of it is because the story doesn't center around characters mm-hmm. that have, I guess, more, at least more typically depicted disabilities. Because there are definitely some mental disorders that are front and center of, of Harry Potter, mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, and one of them, obviously, is was Harry himself and, mm-hmm. and trauma and PTSD, which we decided in this episode we weren't going to talk about because we have trauma as a, a topic for a later episode. So, yeah, you do have some things represented. But, yeah, there there's not so much physical in general. And part of it, I think has to do with just making things more magical. Like, Moody could have just been missing an eye. But, no, he has a magical eye that can Mm. do all this extra special stuff. And so part of it, I think, is just the magical part. Mm. And part of it, I think, is that the books are dealing with a lot with with war and, and violence and abuse and death. And so what would most commonly come out of that would be things like trauma and PTSD, which they do keep in. And so I think part of it is just with the aim of the book. And another part I I don't think is actually there, but I find interesting (laughs) would be if certain things aren't 
curable, fixable, all of that in the magical world, maybe just because people didn't care enough to put the resources there to mm. study it. You know, like, oh, a lot more people break their arms, so we'll do something for that. But that's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, I like that a lot. That's really interesting. Huh. Yeah, I was thinking about how so much of the representation of permanent damage, be it physical or mental to people, is discussed as, yeah, as damage caused by someone or something. Mm-hmm. So for Moody, he lost an eye, he's got these scars, he lost a leg. All those happened through his work as an oar. The long bottoms were tortured into their state. Lockhart was hit by a curse that was so powerful that it was like that, right? Yeah, it doesn't seem like anybody's born with these things. Exactly. Yeah. And those who eat, who do have it, you know, talking about PTSD, Harry, you know, never was really diagnosed or talked about in that way, mm-hmm. but that's obviously put upon him from the very beginning. And I think the only one that we could talk about maybe would be Voldemort, but it's not talked about that way outside of he doesn't have the capacity to love. But... Yeah, I just I think it's it's interesting to see how much of it is based off of what people do to each other. But I do really like what you note about the kinds of things that they they devote resources into curing and that I think is something I will definitely be thinking about a lot from here. Because I mean that's that's real life, right? Yeah, totally. There are so many different things out there that probably like we have the technology to maybe be able to do something about and people just don't care enough and the best example of that in the books is the wolfsbane potion right Mm -hmm. because werewolves have existed for a long time and yet it's not until recently that did, did snape himself develop it i don't remember actually but it was a very recent potion and it takes you know it's hard work to get it or whatever right Mm -hmm. and so this is not something he had when he access to when he was a child and so having that is i think a great example but even that in the books we see we don't see anyone who was born that way we see people who were attacked by fenrir right Mm -hmm. that was given Mm -hmm. to them as well yeah it's kind of interesting that they never go into they have the obliviate spell Mm. like so technically couldn't you even take your traumatic memories away yeah i mean that is a is a big question right (laughs) uh and a big ethical question you'd have to you'd have to delve into no i mean obviously i'm not saying like oh this is good but it's just like it seems like there's so many things that there could be a solution for in the harry potter world and not enough just differently abled people that one don't need to be fixed necessarily Mm -hmm. And two, that you actually get to see what their lives are like. Totally. Well, what's your question for me? So my question is, besides some of what we've already talked about, where else do you see ableism in in Harry Potter? Mm. Well, the first thing that comes to mind is systemic ableism. Mm -hmm. And so that comes to where we're devoting resources, even beyond what we were just talking about of what we have the cures to, There is no mental health services at Hogwarts. 
a place yeah, that right. clearly needs mental health <laughs> services. <laughs> Where is the school counselor? In the fir- on Harry's first day, he finds he gets is told that if he goes somewhere, he's going to suffer a violent death. Like this is not appropriate place for developing minds without having any kind of support there. Right. So that's a kind of ableism right there for sure. Not to mention, I don't hear any talk of uh, moving elevators in Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. Plenty of moving staircases, but that's about it. Um, so. Yeah, there's there's definitely a couple interesting ideas there. But I, I do think that, that Lupin's life is a really good example of it, where he is treated like a pariah because of this thing that he has no control over. And it does affect him in certain ways, and he does have to change his lifestyle in many ways to, to deal with it. But mm-hmm. it is not something that stops him from being an amazing Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher and, and other sure. things. Yeah, but once it gets out, then he resigns before the Wizarding World is just like, no, you can't be here anymore. Mm -hmm, Exactly. And just, like, Snape being a professor, like... Well, there is that. Beyond beyond the fact that he clearly doesn't work with differing learning different learning styles, like he makes it more difficult for his students to learn because he's abusive to them. Like, yeah. of course Neville's not going to succeed in that class. The fact that by the third year, his biggest fear in the world is his teacher? Ugh. I mean, granted a lot of the other fears weren't very good. Yeah, but still. But still, that's definitely bad. Yeah. <laughs> Were there other examples that you were thinking of? Yeah, well, it's interesting because I've read some stuff that that talks about Luna Lovegood as potentially a character that could be on the spectrum, mm. which yeah, you do see in, I think, certain aspects of her character, be it not always understanding social cues in the same way other characters do, or, um, you know, to even potentially like having a more flat tone mm. um, when she's talking and, and, and stuff. And she is terribly bullied. And she's bullied for those things, mm-hmm. too. And so that could be a very interesting example. I think with St. Mungo's, like with Lockhart, the fact that he is, was so adored and all of these mm. things, and yet he doesn't have hardly any visitors by the time, you know, only a couple books later that they go there, people cared about him when he was handsome and able-bodied and running around doing these things, or mm-hmm. what they thought was. But as soon as he's not some of those things anymore, yeah, just a lot of people don't care anymore. Yeah. And obviously we know that ableist rhetoric is alive and well in the books because... Draco makes some ableist comment about people in St. Mungo's, right? Mm. And that's when Neville attacks him, which is also a great moment. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, Neville's the best. Yeah, that's true. Oh, another another one that came to my mind was Aberforth just calling Albus out for his ableism with their sister. Mm-hmm. Albus thinking that he can just live the life that he wants to live yeah. and not actually understand what what her needs are and and him resenting the fact that he is going to have to change those things and Aberforth really understanding it sounds like much more what she needs and and Mm -hmm. how to provide that or being willing to provide that well yeah he was just a more loving person to Mm -hmm. her and accepted her for how she was rather than 
saw how she held him back. Exactly. Which is just, yeah, such a messed up way of looking at it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Dumbledore. Another way I kind of wonder about is outside of the book series, if it's also can be seen in the fans themselves. Hmm. Because, like, I know even my me, like, years ago, I remember catching myself when I was, like, talking about something, like, magical, what houses different people would be in, and then, like, my first inclination was for someone that was really not great. And I was just like, oh, no, like, they would be a squib. And I was like, oh, no, mm. <laughs> like, that's, that's ableist. It's to be like, oh, this person who I don't like is the one that wouldn't have magical abilities. And I feel like even a quote that's so many different places, don't let the muggles get you down, mm. not only can it be read ableist, it can also be read racist mm. for sure. And, again, if it was don't let your family get you down that's fine because that that could be applied to anyone's family who's abusive but he's putting these people who don't have magical abilities into this lump category and doesn't care about them farther than that they're labeled such a thing you know totally and so our fans contributing to or participating in ableist mindsets by perpetuating some of these these things yeah yeah that's a really good point very interesting well we should move on to our missed opportunities what's your missed opportunity i was just talking so why don't we go to you oh very well my missed opportunity has to deal with the way that muggles are treated because Mm -hmm. we've talked about this in the past how, how ron and others will look down on muggle you know electronics and things like that and i think it would have been just very very cool if while they were on the run, they relied on muggle life for a bit, mm-hmm. right? They they hid in the muggle world. And I think that would have been a very interesting way for them to get by because it means that instead of them having to use magic that could be traced by the ministry or whatever it might be, they are getting by the way that Harry and Hermione were raised in. And that gives, makes Ron feel uncomfortable and seeing these other versions of how that changes and then realizing maybe that even though the muggles did not have the magical ability that wizards and witches did, they developed ways of living successful lives, right? They developed electricity and all these other kinds of things, Mm -hmm. medicine and these ways that that are put down by people like Ron, but are helping them be successful. And Uh, Yeah, what about the internet? Exactly. You don't have to flu call each other. <laughs> you have a cell phone in your pocket. <laughs> and so I, I just think that would have been an interesting development as part of book seven, particularly with like all of the camping and stuff like that. If there was mm-hmm. one part of it where it's like, oh, Ron comes back and is like, oh, they're able to trace magic in this way. So we need to live like muggles for a little bit. And that, I, th- I just think that would be interesting. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, when... What's your missed opportunity? So mine is that by not putting someone who's differently abled as a main character or at the very least a commonly recurring like character, mm-hmm. it really allows for characters that are defined largely by their lack of ability because they don't have any more levels than that. Mm. And therefore, oftentimes they become useful for the effect that they have on the able-bodied characters Mm. 
And so there should have been, at the very least, one character who, yeah, was differently abled and was valuable for who they were, not they were valuable for getting a reaction out of somebody who is able-bodied. So it's similar to, you know, fridging when it comes to gender, Mm. right? And you kill off a female character so that the male character has some traumatic event to react to. So we do have some definitely interesting looks at some characters who have a variety of disabilities, but they aren't main and they aren't dynamic with a lot of character depth and personality and different facets to their life. And so, yeah, they can much more easily be labeled just as the squib character or whatever it would be. Unless we read Luna Lovegood as being on the spectrum, in which case she is a pretty important character Mm. who also has a lot of depth and a lot of layers that isn't defined by her ability. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. All right, well, we should do our takeaways then. My takeaway is going to be a first. Because I think after this conversation, I do feel like this is an area where there just isn't enough, nearly enough in the books So I would like to read some fan fiction Mm. looking at differently abled characters and what Hogwarts is like for students who are experiencing those kinds of lives. And I think that would be an interesting thing to to look into. And I think that's one of the the cool things about fan fiction is that when people can insert themselves or their own experiences in things, I guess I would love to see more of that, particularly as an able-bodied person myself. Yeah, yeah. And if you find any interesting ones, obviously they'll share it to me, but we can also share it with you. Totally, yeah. What about you? What's your takeaway? So I think my takeaway is that although there are a lot of things that Harry Potter does not necessarily do well or perfectly with the concept of ability, and because of that, I think in some ways I don't always see myself or a couple of my really good friends represented Hmm. in it it, it completely i mean there there are certain characters i definitely resonate with but not quite the same way as i would if if they did have a character that dealt with loss of abilities in certain ways but at the same time of the series that we cover i think harry potter and and the hunger games do it best because they're actually are characters in them with a different ability status, right? Mm. And I think... I think Avatar 2, but yeah. But when we talked about it, there were a lot of problems, right? And so I think um, Harry Potter does bring out some of the just kind of blaring problems with ableism in the world, even if it's not one of the central messages of the books. Mm. And so that is something that I appreciate, that it's there and it is giving some voice to these things, even if it's not always doing it perfectly and even if it's not as prominent as I would like it to be. Mm. And that just kind of all leads me to, yeah, just that to talk about ability well, you have to be so incredibly intentional because it's really difficult and there's so many different 
facets, whereas other um, social justice issues can be a little more focused. Ability covers this huge range, right? And so, yeah, it just takes so much intention to do it well and to have characters that it's not always as convenient to write, but still should be there. So, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, I guess that'll wrap up our discussion on Harry Potter. Do you want to bring up what we'll be discussing next week? So we are going to be going back to Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. And we are going to be looking at the topic of violence. Wonderful. <laughs> violence in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. That's going to be really interesting. Yeah. There will be a lot to talk about. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. You can find us on social media by searching for Geek Between the Lines on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Pinterest. You can also go to our website, bit.ly slash geekbetweenthelines, or go to our Patreon site at patreon.com slash geekbetweenthelines. We also want to thank Kimberly Taylor Pastel at Lacelet for designing our logo. You can find her designs at lacelet.com or searching for Lacelet on Facebook or Instagram. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Geek Critique Pod. Until next week, geek out! out.